When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Good Friday afternoon to you. A warm welcome to you from all of us here at Ausbiz. This is The Call, 10 stocks picked by you. Two expert guests over an hour, Friday the 4th of March, and I'm Nadine Blaney. We have with us today for the full hour, Claude Walker from A Rich Life and Mathan Samasandram from Deep Data Analytics. Top of the afternoon to you both. Mathan, what's happening in your world as we head toward a weekend that will likely prove to be quite volatile? Uh, I think volatility is, is the least of our concern at the moment. Everything is moving around like yo-yo. Um, I think I'm walking into a, a clothes uh, and uh, I suppose bear trap. There's a lot of uh, stocks here that uh, Claude would be all over. So I got to be careful on today's show. Nice. Uh, but I think the macro is going to be volatile through March. I think we, we've got a fair amount of things moving around. You've got the Fed moving. So I mean, the market doesn't know where to go and it's panicking at every shadow. Yeah, what do you think of the list that's coming up, Claude? Oh, it's an interesting list. There's, um, we're only at the end do we get to one that I like best, so we'll have to wait for that well, one. Well, there's but, a tease. Uh, there, there's a lot to discuss. Yeah, and um, you've done my job for me, teasing the audience. That's uh, TV for you. Let's get into some of the companies that we'll be talking about. I'll just list them for you so you know what's coming. Monroe, Climate Change Leaders Managed Fun, that one's coming to us for Cam. I hope you're watching or listening, Cam. Healthco, Collins Foods, Tesserant, and SDI. Now, I've got to say, we will be speaking with the CEO of SDI in the small caps that comes up right after the call. I do hope you can stick around for that. So what these guys say will help form the basis, I suppose, of my questions to that CEO. Now, for our Friday stock of the day, my producer Libby had a really great idea. She said, let's do something a little bit different. So being inspired by the Women's Cricket World Cup kicking off today and the volatility out there, she thought we should ask our experts for two overnight batsman stocks. So a steady as she goes option to hold down the fort while volatility continues to rage. Nathan, let's start with you. What's your overnight batsman pick? Well, I went with very boring Woolworths. Um, look, I think Woolies are a great business model. They benefit from uh, the inflation cycle. They, you know, when you look at what's happening in the retail spending market, it's going from discretionary to staple, and they benefit from that. They can pass on the uh, price rises. Um, all the effects are mostly not to them. It's more to the consumer. Um, and any kind of delay in their earnings tend to play catch up. So if you're not buying something because of lockdown and so forth, you end up buying it later on when they open up. So in theory, they're a very defensive model. You get a 4% fully franked yield. Um, it's a mega cap. It's the leading player in the supermarket play. You know, what's not to love about it? Um, it's not sexy. It's not going to give you massive growth. But, you know, if you're worried about what's happening in the market, that's the one to buy and just not worry about it over the next year. 
on strategy, Nathan, when we enter these periods of volatility, when you can't trust in just uh, chasing the index as much, do dividends uh, and income become more important to you as an investor? Yeah, I think you've got to look at total return. Um, at the end of the day, you are there to make money. You're not there to be right. Uh, and to make money, you want to get total return. And if you're getting good dividends, as long as your capital is protected, um, I think you're in the right place. You just got to be careful where you can get dividends while you lose capital. So I think that's the risk a lot of investors have in this kind of market. So I'll give you a classic example. I think if you look at the big banks, uh, unfortunately, that's the risk that you're facing right now. You'll get good dividends, but you'll probably lose more on the capital. And this is the risk return that you have to understand. So in a tough market, dividends are important, but it's also important in stocks that can hold their market value. Wonderful. Nathan, thank you. Woolworths, not sexy, but uh, boring can be beautiful. Let's go with you, Claude. I'd be surprised if you picked Woolworths or the big banks for that matter. Well, uh, I asked for a little bit of a poetic license on this one because obviously it's in the small cap universe that I know best. So to the extent that a small cap can be a night watchman, I've gone with uh, a PTB group, which is a company originally PTB was a Pacific Turbines. And that's a company that does servicing for turboprop engines, um, you know, out of Brisbane, but also from America. And look, you can see there that it's had a strong um, recovery in share price since the pandemic gave it a whack. But actually, the actual uh, results were actually rather resilient throughout the pandemic, even though its largest customer um, is in the in the Maldives, which had absolutely an impact from a lack of tourism during parts of the pandemic. So I think, um, you know, when I spoke to one of the directors recently to discuss these results, uh, he, he said, look, over, you know, more than 20 years, the, the business has performed through all parts of the cycle. So even though he was, you know, very easy to admit, there's always a way that, say, for example, inflationary pressures could impact the business. Uh, you know, they basically have a good um, positioning in the market because it's not very easy for somebody else to go and set up these shops that um, then service these plane engines because you need to get a wide range of regulatory approvals to be a company that actually has the essential job of keeping these uh, turboprop plane engines uh, functioning properly, especially when those uh, very engines are, could be in adverse conditions like, for example, very salty environment in the Maldives. So they're protected both through a regulatory moat there and also through a know-how moat because it's not necessarily that easy to optimize these um, engine repairs and they have just many decades of experience on that. And because they're the little planes, it's not like they're subject to the massive ups and downs in tourism that we can see. And, so, and on top of that, they have yeah. aligned board members and pay a little dividend yield. Although I would expect that they pay a 4% yield, I expect that that dividend will improve over time. Okay. And now Oh, good. And I noticed that chart, though, as you pointed out, it's done well over the past year. So is it still, are you still able to get in now? Uh, I have, I did buy initially at around 76 cents, but I have actually paid up to around current prices because I still think it is a uh, fairly good value, not as good value as it was. I think that if we go back further on a five-year chart, you'll sort of see that it did drop down a lot when the pandemic hit because people thought, mm -hmm. oh, no, these guys are in tourism aviation. They're going to get hit really bad. The reality wasn't as wor as bad as it could have been. Yes, parts of their businesses were somewhat um, impacted. But if that plane just has one passenger, you still need to make sure the engines 
uh, functioning properly, mm-hmm. right? So it's, it only gets hit when the, when, the, when the plane doesn't fly at all. Okay, good one. Thank you, guys. Thanks for playing along. And I um, had to give Libby credit, of course, because she deserves it, but also because I had to Google what an overnight batsman was. So there you go. <laughs> let's move on from that one, shall we? Okay, let's get to number one on the list, and that is Monroe Climate Change Leaders. It's a fund, and this is for Can. He says they've taken a more interesting approach to climate change than perhaps some of the ETFs that offer exposure to that thematic because it looks beyond you know, Tesla and lithium. It's got four pillars, clean energy, clean transport, energy efficiency, and the circular economy, very concentrated, 15 to 25 stocks. What do you think, Nathan? Look, it's, it's an interesting one. Um, again, um, you, the great thing about coming on the show is you learn about new stocks, including the one Claude just talked about. I didn't know. It reminded me of PWR for cars. Um, so it's it's a unique business model. I think Monroe Climate Change Leaders is a it's a good business. Uh, I mean, it's a good fund, but I think it's in the wrong cycle. Um, so if you think about what has happened over the last couple of years, if you look at all the ESG funds, they've all done well. Um, and part of that is not because they got good managers. It's just because the systematically where they are investing all had multiple expansion. So those stocks that they're investing in all did really well over the last two to three years. It didn't matter where you were, uh, but that has turned. So when we're in an inflationary cycle, so multiples will be lower. So a lot of those stocks are underperforming. So sadly, they've come in at a time where things are rolling over. So they're going to be hit for a while. So you've got to manage your risk. So I think in a longer term thematic, yes, this uh, thematic, this sector does have a lot of upside. But I think what you've got to be worried about is where it is in the current cycle. So I think over the next couple of months, you're probably going to see more downside risk because the multiples are still realigning to where the Fed is going to be. And remember, the Fed hasn't even started moving. It moves in a couple of weeks. So till that happens, I think there'll be more of a downside risk. And then you'll turn around. So it's it's one that you would want to keep on your shopping list. But I wouldn't be jumping in at least till April, May. Watch this material. What do you think, uh, Claude? Because I know that you do have an ESG filter on your investments. Yeah, yes, of course I do. But that doesn't mean that I uh, sacrifice looking for, you know, the best possible option within the companies that I do want to buy. And, you know, to to be quite frank, I thought that what Nathan said was was accurate, but also like a tad on the generous side, because uh, what you've got to remember is that you're basically backing uh, a bunch of uh, US and somewhat European stocks. It's global, but mostly US. And that includes, for example, they have a 4% position in Tesla, Samsung. Samsung. You can see the clean energy um, kind of themes through there, but I'm sort of a little bit wary about uh, some of this sort of thematic investing. It can be a really good way to uh, attract capital because it's a good story. But at the end of the day, you know, you've just got a selection of companies. Have you selected this fund manager because you think the manager, you personally know the manager, you personally think the manager is going to achieve outperformance over time? Um, that's how I select my fund managers. I, I select them small. I select the individuals that I know I have vetted. I know that they go. I think it's very likely that they're going to outperform over time. I want to see most of their family's wealth invested in their own fund. And, um, you know, quite frankly, uh, it's been an unfortunate timing for these guys because they've started off with, with what is, quite frankly, a really bad start. I think they were down 10% in January. Um, that's, that's not really hardening. And on top of that, 
I don't necessarily agree um, with, you know, the fact that it's worth paying the extra fee. So I do believe in, like, it's worth buying an ethical ETF. But you've got the beta shares, um, I think it's the FE ETF, that has a 0.6% um, management fee. And that will give you a very, very broad mm -hmm. ETF. They did avoid, avoid some things that you might not want to invest in. And it does definitely give you exposure to all of these themes. But um, that'll roughly match the market. These guys have a higher fee at 0.9%. So the question is, is it worth the extra fees? And so okay. I, would, I would err on the say of, of saying no. It may well do well, but um, it doesn't really attract me. Got it. Thank you. Now let's go to number two on the list, HCW HealthCo for Joyce. Um, she's looking for a relatively boring stock. She just wants decent income between four and a half, four and five percent and growth about three to five percent. Now she does flag interest rates in the current environment that we're in, but she sees benefits to HCW because it's in a niche space of the REIT market, healthcare being it. So she's thinking defensive. And um, I do note that at the most recent reporting season, its guidance was reiterated. Uh, what do you think, Nathan? Oh, look, boring isn't so boring in this kind of market. Boring can be sexy when everything else is volatile. So, uh, you know, horses for courses. Um, I'm, I'm always a bit uh, worried about recent IPOs. Um, you know me. Um, we need to see data. We need to see reported data in the market. So. I'd be a bit careful jumping into anything that's recently floated, especially in this kind of tough market. The other thing I would say is what used to be good as a defensive earnings before um, in a low growth environment, in the future will get much higher, uh, I guess, threshold to jump over. So you want to get something, it doesn't have to be sexy, but it still has to be growing to sustain the yield. Otherwise, I think that you, your yield over time with rising cost of debt will get into trouble. So you've got to be careful even in the boring area. Um, so yeah, it doesn't really excite me. I mean, I think she understands the risk return she's going into, so it's not so bad. And I think it's okay. I think the defensive earnings will hold up quite well. Um, you might run into risk over time if uh, you, know, you start to see some of those. For me, I've got a real problem with what's happening in small business uh, and in some of those areas where I think those reality of the economy is going to hit them. So it's a bit tough there. I tend to look at if you want boring yield, get someone with a bit more growth and a bit more diversification. So if you're looking at someone like Woolworths, as I said before, it offers you a bit of growth, stability in that, and it's come back a bit, so you give that. Or look at someone like um, Auckland International Airport. It's a great asset. It's a basically a utility with the uh, property developer on the side. So you get a bit of growth and defensive and still get a good yield. So look for something like that because that kind of manages your risk a bit better. Thank you, Nathan. Claude, what do you think of HealthCo REIT? Look, I love the thinking of Joyce here. Like she's clearly thinking about what's a defensive um, industry. It's true that, you know, they're unlikely to, um, if they say a recession or whatever bad thing happens, it's unlikely that they're going to suddenly lose a bunch of tenants. But I think there's a few things to consider. Um, first of all, when you see people looking for an income kind of stock, often that means that they really do need that income. And yeah, look, if she's willing to take a little bit of risk, that still means, okay, it might be appropriate to go for dividend kind of shares. But if you're putting it in one stock, then you still always have a company specific risk there. The other thing to keep in mind is these guys already have, you know, extremely, I think in almost all of their properties, they have sort of a hundred percent leased 
uh, properties. And yes, they do have like long-term leases, but you know that can be a good thing and a bad thing depending exactly on whether you know how those leases are structured with uh, inflation. And uh, basically, uh, I just think that there are better options looking for a yield. So, for example, to go to the ETF option again, you have UMAX, which gives you exposure to the 500 biggest um, US companies, and that pays a 5% unfranked yield, whereas this REIT pays only, I think, a 4% or 3.85% dividend yield, also unfranked. So to me, if you want about 3 4% growth, then getting something linked to the overall market um, will probably deliver that if you can be a long-term holder, and you'll also get a higher yield. So for me, this doesn't really stack up against the alternatives at all. So I wouldn't hold it, no. Thank you. Collins Food for Jason. Uh, Look, Collins Food had a pretty solid half-year result. KFC Europe did very well for it. I'm wondering, though, Nathan, I'll start with you again, if we, when we're talking about Collins Food, have to take into consideration food costs, oil costs, labor costs, all of those inflationary items that are so, so prevalent right now. Yeah, it's... it's 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 it, but it, then on the flip side this is one of those i mean i have to give credit to management they blew up on the ipo it was one of those ones actually underperformed over the first six months and history tells you if it underperforms over the first six months get out these guys went against the record and actually outperformed after that uh, credit to them um, i compare them to someone like domino's now um, that's what how you got to look at it it's a global food play um, so they're running into the same problem dominoes are as you just said inflation there's cost uh, i mean dominoes can't even get drivers to drop food off so um you're getting into that problem of cost hitting them in all positions but they're a great business um i, I feel the same way with dominoes i think they're a great business they are not a tech business both of these guys are really good food retailers but they're struggling on the cost side so you've got to keep that in mind i don't think this is a, you know time to jump in because i think the cost pressures will keep hitting them um look it's one of those ones where they're in a downgrade cycle, similar to Domino's, and I'm keeping an eye on both of them because they're really good management. I'm sure they're going to solve it, but I don't want to you know, be in it while they're trying to solve it. I'll wait for them to solve it. So wait for the first upgrade for both Collins and Domino's. When you see the first upgrade and the numbers stabilizing, that's when you get in, um, not when they're in a downgrade cycle. Thank you, Nathan. That is one thing that I know I've learned from you, perhaps more than anything else, don't buy in a downgrade cycle. Okay, how about you, Claude? I know that this isn't necessarily your style of business to invest in, but it has been pushing ahead with these store rollouts. It's doing really well in Europe. I suppose there is always the specter of potential lockdowns as well uh, that you could think of maybe denting business going forward. What else? Well, I'd, I'd say um, I'd, that my lesson then is for this one is don't ignore valuation. You know, I, I was on this show with Rudy back in 28th of May last year, and we chatted about this stock. And, and I said then that it's pretty fully priced for a franchise company. It was $12.50. It's come a lot down since then. Its earnings have gone up. The share price has come down. Okay. So that to me, it's about, um, it, yeah, look, perhaps it's about a tough situation now and the market's looking forward. But also, what it's telling us is that it was just too highly priced. And the reason it was too highly priced is this uh, company is considered now a high quality defensive growth name. So it's like a, it's everything to every people. And 
um, you know, there's that there's that hope that it will grow in in Europe. And look, I think there are two questions. One is long term. How do you feel about the success and the continued rollout of these fast food things? Like, I love to eat a bit of KFC when I'm on a road trip or something, but it's obviously not great for you. And we are becoming more aware of that over time. And then secondly, you've just got to look at the price. So the trailing P.E. ratio is like almost 29 times earnings. Now, even if we look out to 2024 and we assume that what I think, you know, they think the analysts think that the earnings will go from about 37 cents per share to 60 cents per share. Okay, so that's very strong growth. And even if that happens, then the stock's still on around 17 times earnings. And that if you ask me, that kind of forecast isn't something that is fully taken into account all of the concerns the Nathan just went over. So to me, to my mind, there's a real chance that it misses that. But even if it hits those expectations, I reckon it's pretty fairly priced then. So you've got to ask, what's your upside? Where's, where's the positive surprise coming from? And my guess is it's coming from nowhere, at least in the next couple of years. So I, have, I see no reason to own this stock. If, if you're a long-term holder then, and, 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 you, and you're bullish the rollout of KFC, then I think it's fine to hold on. But I just definitely don't see why you'd be buying. Got it. Thank you. Uh, let's get to Tesserant. TNT is the ticker code. This is for Richard. Richard, just a reminder, it's information only. It is not financial advice tailored to your own particular circumstances. So he points out that it's in cybersecurity, uh, cloud, managed services. It's got a spread of clients, government, education, so there's reliable payers. And I like the context. He says, I bought a small parcel approximately six months ago and looking at the latest results felt this might be the right time to add to my holdings. So I went back about six months ago. It was trading at about 25 cents. We know the buzz around cybersecurity right now in light of Russia and Ukraine. We know the migration to the cloud continues. Another thing about this company that I know is that it's very acquisitive. What do you think, Claude? I'll start with you this time. Yeah, so... You know, up front, you know, this, this kind of business would never, ever pass my quality filters. It, it just um, doesn't have anything that I look for in an investment. Um, what the story is here is back in FY 2019, uh, this thing had a gross profit of about $3 million, And the trailing 12 months is a gross profit of $54 million. So the growth in the gross profit is, is massive. But the actual um, EBITDA, the actual statutory EBITDA is virtually zero in the last half. I think it was 383,000, right? So all of that growth, massive growth, but no actual profit, right? And, the, and in the process of getting that growth, they have done dilution after dilution. So I think I've got on my notes here, the shares went in 2019, there were 171 million shares on issue, all the way up to 1.14 billion shares on issue now, right? So the real business that this company is in is in issuing shares and is in the business of selling shares to other people, selling shares to uh, retail shareholders. Um, it, that's what it's about. Their management presentations report, they have a slide where they talk about growth in EBITDAC, uh, which is earnings before corporate costs. Like that's a new Ooh, one. I haven't yeah. seen that every day. Like absolutely no way I would ever invest in a company that's telling me about EBITDAC. Not a chance. But on top of that, um, you've got to also look at, you know, what's the what's the bullish case here? Well, I guess, you know, they do have demand, right? We've seen that revenue coming in. Um, they're the largest provider of cybersecurity services to the federal government. So, um, you know, perhaps there is something there. But uh, right now, uh, what we've got to be aware of is, again, come back to that valuation piece. Like, yes, there's a price you would pay for this business potentially. But 
Look, uh, one year ago, you just have to go and do a hysterical search, historical search on Twitter, Facebook, Reddit. Um, this thing was absolute meme stock territory. Like people like, oh, code, code, you know, cybersecurity. That's all they need to know. Buy shares, buy shares. All of that. It's just absolutely, I don't go near that stuff until it's completely washed mm-hmm. out. I don't want to buy the hottest Reddit stock because I know what's going to happen when they run out of the incremental buyer. Because if you're buying a stock just because of cybersecurity, then you need another guy to come and buy it because of cybersecurity. The reality here is the statutory NPAT in the last half was a loss of 3.2 million, um, and the market cap is 207 million. So we're talking about paying $200 million odd for a business that in the last half lost 3.2 million. It just doesn't stack up on a valuation level one day maybe when they get that profit up, but not today. Got it, thank you. Couldn't be more clear coming from Claude. Are you a bit more nuanced when it comes to Tesserin? Do you like hot stocks that play on a thematic like cyber? Nathan. Yeah, look, every, every dog has a price. Uh, if you can get it cheap enough, it's worth it. Uh, Claude's right. Um, around mid-2020, um, I think um, Australian government came out and threw billions of dollars at cybersecurity. Um, and everyone was trying to find the cybersecurity store. Deserant, Whitehawk, and a, 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 a some, I think, I forgot the other ones. There was about three or four, they, they were the hot stocks, and they all had a huge run. Um, you know, I always, Claude's right, any stock with a billion shares always worries you, especially in the liquid space. Uh, they're growing in shares. Um, so the problem is they acquire a lot, uh, and the acquisitions are quite interesting. Uh, the execution hasn't been there. It's one thing to acquire, uh, and again, as Claude said, you need to have that flow through to the profits. You need to see numbers come through. And this is one where, you know, I've seen tech stocks, uh, you know, this is 30 years of looking at stocks. You realize some of these things never eventuate. And so you don't jump in till you actually see the numbers come through. So this is one, it's in a great space. It's great for marketing but it hasn't actually seen the numbers come through and I'm waiting for that to come through. So there's a number of stocks in this sector and none of them have seen that numbers come through. So um, yeah, I mean, if you wanted to go into the cybersecurity, you're better off going and picking up the ETF and you remove the stock specific issue and you get the bounce. But this is a growth sector, growth stock. It's getting hammered at the moment. So no need to jump in. I'd be waiting back. I'd say probably in the next couple of months, you probably see the bottom in growth stocks as the Fed stabilizes. In that scenario, if you wanted to buy the cybersecurity plan, it is just too hard and it's too early in the cycle. I'd probably buy the ETF simply because to remove the stock specific risk and play the big thematic and see how that plays out. And then if they execute and you start to see the numbers come through, then jump in. Got it. Thanks, Nathan. Okay, let's get to number five before we take a little bit of a break. And this is for Harrison. Hello, Harrison. And this is SDI Limited. So it supplies, I had to look it up. It supplies specialist dental materials. So think about epoxies, think about tools, think about a lot of the stuff that's used in whitening. Um, But it does have a global market, it says, uh, to 100 plus countries globally. Uh, It's a micro cap, clearly. Claude, can I start with you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, this one's definitely uh, much more in my speed because this is what, even though I don't own shares myself, um, this is definitely what you would call an investable uh, small cap, right? So it's got, it's the founding families run it forever in a day. Uh, it's a good 
Aussie business, Australian jobs, manufacturing, exporting overseas, value-added manufacturing. It's what we need for our economy. We need more businesses like this. So I support it in that sense. But um, so zooming in here, look, this this um, company has been undergoing a change. Uh, it basically had silver fillings as its main product a few years ago. It's moving out of that into um, more widening products, more the new kind of amalgam uh, fillings, you know, that are, that are tooth-coloured and... Um, it's doing that transition just fine. It also sells a bit of equipment that's a smaller part of it. Tooth, tooth widening and other athletic products are a big part of it too. Obviously, I think everybody knows taking care of your mouth is a great decision and, and people are going to keep doing that. Uh, however, you know, I think it has to be said, I think if you look at that chart, it came down after the r- last results. And I think probably the biggest driver of that, um, yeah, you can see that drop there, has been uh, there was a big drop in gross margin uh, that had to do with a few different reasons including of course the inflation in some of those costs particularly uh, it, uh freight costs right so on top of that we've seen net cash reduced to 6.5 million and basically there are two main things to think about here that first of all the way i would encourage people to think about this stock is as, is as a dividend stock for many years and partly, I guess, because the, the CEO's family owns is the biggest shareholder in the business, they get money partly through salaries because the founder is the chairman and her, his daughter is the CEO. They partly get money through salaries. They also get money through the dividends. So they do pay the dividend. I would consider them a dividend stock. Right now, they're yielding 3.6%, which is all right. I think it's sort of viable, but I don't see a great thing there. If this one gets to a dividend yield of 5 6%, that's when it gets attractive to me. And in years gone by, I have actually bought it when it was on a higher dividend yield. But then I'll sell it if it goes down to a, a lower dividend yield or a medium dividend yield. So that's one thing. The other thing I'd love to know more about is in the report, they said that there have been clear increases in market share in some of their products, um, reflecting momentum from new product releases. But what I would really love to know is what are the actual products that are, are doing well? And most importantly, why are they doing well? What is the competition there? And is it just that they have, a, I don't know what it is. And on top of that, they said in one of their product lines, some of their competitors have left the market. Now that can be a bad thing because it could mean that that's the, I think this is the case. That's like a dying line and, and they're just like the last man standing. So that's not so good. But where are the market share gains happening? Because that is what points to a brighter future. And look, this company is an old company. It does innovate. It, it does keep on competing. It's a competitive environment, but these guys compete. So uh, I guess there will be a hold for me, um, but it's not cheap enough to uh, attract me right now. Um, but it's also a decent investable small cap. Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. Thank you. Nathan, what did your research point you to in terms of SDI? And what I'll be speaking with the CEO aforementioned. What would you like to know about this company from the coalface? Yeah, I think I remember the last time oh, a while ago when I was on the show with Claude, I actually learned about the stock. So uh, thanks again. Uh, look, it's another stock that I learned about. Uh, look, I think it's a, it's a top, top business model, uh, but it's going through change. Claude's right. Uh, the numbers are telling you that it's in a downgrade cycle. Um, again, that's, that's a red flag for us. Um, but it, it's definitely an interesting stock. It is a yield stock. It's not a high growth stock. The multiples are relatively expensive for a yield stock. Um, that's, so it's coming back to a better multiple. Um, that, so that makes sense to me. Um, I think Claude's right. It, it's in a boring area, but obviously it's been around for so long, so they're able to innovate and meet the market expectations. I think the product suite is going to be the key thing. What are they doing? 
what kind of innovations are they pushing, what's the growth outlook is going to be driven by, that's the key thing. And as Claude said, which product is going to be driving the growth going into the next few years? Because as I said before with other stocks, you, you, you've got to start looking at yield stocks to have a decent growth rate because that's the way to sustain dividends in an environment where cost of borrowing is going to rise. So for us, we still need to see this thing grow uh, at a decent pace. So what product range or what innovation that they're pushing through is going to deliver the growth? That's going to be key because they need to have a sustainable, decent growth rate to keep the dividend. Otherwise, you're buying a false hope in a dividend yield story. So that's the key area for me as well. Wonderful. Thanks, guys. Thanks for helping me with my homework. And if any viewer is uh, watching now, you'd like to listen to that, you can do so shortly. And of course, we'll put it up online after the fact. Nathan, Claude, you guys have a glass of water. I will run you through what we've learned so far. And we'll begin with our two overnight batsman stocks as suggested by Nathan and Claude. And that is Woolworths. For Nathan, he said, uh, what's not to love? about Woolworths, admittedly boring, but any delay in earnings, it catches up and it's got a fully franked 4% dividend yield. It's PTB for Claude. He uh, thinks it's got the market cornered. It also has a dividend yield with the option to improve dividends going forward. Now to your companies, Monroe Climate Change Leaders. Uh, Claude says no. He says, look for an ETF if that's what you want to get leveraged to that has low management fees. Nathan says it's a good fund in the wrong cycle. It's got downside risk. Put it on the watch list. Healthco. Nathan suggests Woolworths if you're looking for boring yield or Auckland International Airport. Claude suggests UMAX, which is a dividend ETF. He says there are better options if you're looking for yield in a nutshell. Collins Food, CKF. So Claude says it's an avoid. If you've already got it, hold it. But he says the big lesson is don't ignore valuation. And the lesson from Nathan on this one is uh, that you don't want to buy in a downgrade cycle and that's where it is. So it is a no-go zone for him right now. Tesserant, look, Nathan says you're going to be able to get this cheaper if you desire some exposure to the cybersecurity thematic, but that uh, its business and its uh, success is clearly not coming through in the numbers. In fact, he said every dog does have its price. Its price is not today. And uh, look, this doesn't even meet Claude's filters. He says he could never invest in a company that's essentially making up its own accounting terms and it's still running at a loss. And then the last on the list, SDI, we'll be speaking with the CEO shortly. It is an investable small cap in Claude's view. It's a hold if you have it. He wants to know where the growth is coming from for now. If the dividend yield rises, he would buy it again. He's owned it in the past. Nathan says, top business model, downgrade cycle. So again, we need to find out where the growth is going to come from. So that is the first five of the day under our belt. Let's get a, a look at, I suppose, what we are expecting in terms of this new investment committee in the new portfolio. None of the companies made it in today because they don't have two buys from our expert guests. You need two buys to be put in front of the investment committee. This is what the portfolio looks like. There's an equal allocation to BHP, Macquarie, Mineral Resources, Steadfast Group, Aristocrat, Audinate, CSL, NextDC, and Universal Stores. Then we've got half units of Qantas and Frontier Digital Ventures. 20% right now is held 
in cash. So every month the committee meets to assess the buys that have been discussed on the call. So they get put forward to the investment committee if both of our daily guests reckon they should be. So you keep your requests coming in. We will keep doing buy, hold, sell on a daily basis and keep the call switched on to see what companies our next investment committee meeting will discuss. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. Let's get to it, shall we? Next on the list, Apollo Trajan Group, TRJ is the ticker code points bet. Boy, has that been volatile as of late. Osco Healthcare and Best and Last. Back to my expert guests, Nathan Samasandram from Deep Data Analytics and Claude Walker from A Rich Life. Claude, I'm going to start with you, Apollo. So this is essentially a camper van business. Correct me if I'm wrong. Mindy is asking about this one. It's got a merger on the table between Apollo and Tourism Holdings. I suppose this is one of the companies that could have done really well through the pandemic and could also do really well through the reopening trade. What do you make of it? Yeah, so actually this was a tough one because I had to, of course, go over and have a look at Tourism Holdings, which is a New Zealand listed company, to, to get sort of any clue what I thought about it. Um, look, I think I prefer actually the Apollo business uh, to the tourism holding business. Now that goes against what some other people I admire think, so I might be wrong on that. But, I, and I have to say, I am actually new to the tourism holdings business um, just because it's a New Zealand stock. Now what's going to happen when they merge um, is that there will be a foreign, like an ASX listing for the tourism holdings company. So you can just hold through. And look, basically my view on this is that there was a time to buy Apollo before this merger, the share, the Apollo share price has come up in, in partly in response to this uh, merger being on the table. I suspect that, um, you know, my gut feel is that, that the buy period has passed. Now, having said that, um, if you've already got shares, I, I wouldn't see um, this merger as a reason to sell, really, because uh, generally speaking, uh, this kind of business, which does have a bit of cyclicality to it in terms of the the general demand for camper vans at the moment it is high and at the moment you know camper vans are going and that kind of holiday is going on in renaissance so there's lots of demand for that i've got i've heard of people waiting for like a year or six months to get their new camper van so the demand is good at the moment that's good so i'd see no reason um i'd see no reason to sell i maybe even would consider a buy as well but i just think it's a little bit too opaque for me, with the merger going on, I don't know the other new, the, the New Zealand business well enough to have a call on that. And that is, of course, going to be super important going forward. Remembering that New Zealand has had much more even um, of an impact to their tourism than we have. So is this a reopening trade? I, I would imagine it is. So no reason to sell whatsoever, but I just lack the confidence to say buy on this one. And it's also not the kind of high margin recurring revenue business that I like the best or I like software or healthcare high quality businesses. It's not that high quality. It, it might be cheap though. Got it. Thank you. Nathan, Apollo. Yeah, look, I, I used to follow Fleetwood and Fleetwood yeah, had a um, camper van uh, model and they, you know, they sold that into um, Apollo. Uh, and Apollo has been building up and it's 
I think Claude's right. I think it's 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 a good business. You're in a demographic uh, change that's going to play into them. Um, the tourism merger, it's, I actually think, makes it a much more solid and much more diversified, um, and makes it a better model. So in that context, it's it was a hold and it's a better hold post the uh, merger. Um, I think it it does okay. I think it it'll deliver what you're saying, what you're seeing. The only caveat I would put is we're in inflation, right? Cost of everything is going up. These guys build, you know, unique um, offerings to clients. The cost of inputs, um, the labor cost, all of this is going to go up. So there's a real risk in that. So if you're a new investor, I'd be a bit careful. I, I think the thematic is good. That'll suck people in. But I think the underlying numbers may struggle in the short term. Reopening cycle, higher cost, all of this has to play out. And we're not sure how that all settles down. So I'd be a bit careful. But if you're an existing shareholder and you've had a bit of a run with it, then I think it's okay. I think you hold on. Okay. Thanks, Nathan. Thanks, Claude. Let's get on to the next on the list, Trajan Group. TRJ is the ticker code for Yaz. Hello, Yaz. Uh, look, he says which it does. It owns a portfolio of technologies and devices to support the trend toward decentralized data-based healthcare. Um, Claude, when I was doing my look around, I noticed that it's got quite large CEO holdings. So the CEO has been buying. I know you like that. Is that enough to make you like the company? Uh, I wouldn't say that that thing alone is enough to make me like the company. But yes, this is like a founder-owned and controlled business. I believe 59% of the business they own, something like that. Um, I may have missed the recent purchases, but anyway, it's definitely you've got great alignment there. Um, look, I really love the thinking of this questioning, and that actually made me uh, like the idea more, which is that to try and find what is the long-term thematic tailwind that this company might benefit from. Because I generally find for a long-term investment, you generally need to have some kind of long-term tailwind helping the business, usually just having a decent business model and good management isn't enough. Sometimes it is, but usually the real big successes, you need to find that tailwind. Um, now, I the other question, though, is, is the company actually going to capture the value of the tailwind? So when, once you have that question, you have to think about, um, you know, what, where's their competitive positioning in the industry or if it's, if it's a technology company, where does it fit in the tech stack? Who has the pricing power over whom? Because sometimes you can have a, a massive tailwind, you know, aviation's the, the classic example, but still most of the companies don't really do that well. So there is some risk of that in this one, um, just because we don't really know if it's got that much sort of pricing power yet. Um, it's a decent business for sure. Having said that, um, I just think that the price, I don't, I don't understand it. Now, it listed in June last year from memory. I think that it... Um, it has low free float, as you said. The the founders' shares are escrowed, so I guess I don't. I'm at a loss to explain how the share price got up to where it is. Now they did um, come out and say that they're expecting a, a better uh, normalised EBITDA than their prospectus forecast. So of course the market generally likes an upgrade. Having said that, their range is for the full year um, centred around 13 million, um, which by my calculations puts the stock on like 34 times EBITDA which is really high. Like you would expect it to be a proven high quality business model for that. But instead, what we've got is a fairly shortlisted history and just a lack of information generally. Looks to me like the market's assuming the best. Well, I wouldn't assume the best. Like, let's just wait and see. For me, honestly, I have to say if I own shares, I probably would sell it. That doesn't mean I'm against the business. I just think that the price doesn't make sense to me. 
Got it. Nathan, do you see it any differently when it comes to TRJ for gas? Uh, you'd think that Claude was being cynical there. Uh, but uh, look, in this kind of market, you have to be careful. Um, I think on a PE basis, on a reported, I think it's about 3,000. So <laughs> I, I love my healthcare uh, biotech plays. Um, it looks interesting. They've bought good business models. Again, a new stock that I'm learning about. Uh, but I think you've got to be careful here. Um, you can see the market started to sell it with all the growth stocks. Again, I don't think that's over. I think growth stocks struggle for the next couple of months till things cl clean up with the US Fed and how where DCFs will settle down and uh, risk-free rates. So in that context, um, I think there's more risk to it. So I wouldn't jump in and buy it right now. Um, again, you have to trust management here and you've got to buy into what the market is buying into, which is a really long-term growth story. Mm -hmm. That doesn't come cheap. Uh, there's going to be a lot of cap raisings that will be played out. So again, this is one where it's just too rich for me. Uh, so I'll stay out of it and I'll keep an eye on it. Um, so here's a question. Is now the time to buy anything, Nathan, when we've got Russia, it looks like bombing a nuclear power plant in Ukraine when we have a Fed meeting, not next week, the week after. I mean, why buy today? Why not wait till the market settles to see a turn in sentiment? Sure, that's, that's pretty much what I've told all our clients. Um, I said, if you're gonna put fresh money, uh, for the next couple of weeks, don't do anything. Um, because as much as I can tell you what I think will happen, um, there's always a risk of something random happening. Um, did a, you know, nobody predicts war, but if you look at where we are with the oil price, um, you know, I'll just give you a classic example. If every time oil price runs up 50% in 12 months, uh, US has gone into recession. Yes, I if, found a chart the, on that today, just, just today, yeah. In the last 70 years. So, the simple fact is there are a lot of commodities doing what we thought would happen, but it's all happening at the same time. So there is a lot of things that need to reset. There's a lot of non-correlated moves that are happening that even the greatest backtest will struggle to work out. So for investors over the next couple of weeks, it's, you know, don't make rash decisions, just sit back, uh, enjoy the volatility, try and understand the volatility, so when things settle down, take advantage of the volatility. Got it. Thank you. Don't just be early. Speaking of volatility, points bet holdings. Nathan, I'll start with you on this one. PBH, up, down. I said yesterday on air, it's like watching Miso Blast these days. Uh, but yesterday, it had a crazy session because Goldman Sachs reiterated its buy rating, saying it has confidence in the company's medium and long-term prospects. Putting aside what we just talked about, is it a buy, hold, sell today? Yeah, uh, look, this is a hot sector before, um, you know, you could have picked any of the uh, the gambling stocks and everything went to the moon. Um, everyone got excited. Years and years of growth were priced in. I, I, I just laugh. Um, you knew this was going to happen. And when things don't get executed, money doesn't come through, uh, and then big fund managers are holding substantial amount of the stocks start to get out, uh, the story always goes the other mm -hmm. way. It's it's classic. It's always the same, and it's played out again. Um, is is this the growth story that you want to jump into right now? Hell no. Uh, I mean, for me, you have to look at things that are linked to the economy, things that have a proven track record, where they sit in the economic cycle, and when the cycle starts to improve, how these guys are going to benefit. Right now, if you're a growth stock, you're going to get hit mm -hmm. either way. Then you want to see the recovery cycle coming through. Points bet for me will go through that cycle. It'll probably take longer than most other stocks. 
So it's not the one that I would be picking for the turnaround story. There's a lot of money going in and out because it's, it's a hot sector, hot stock that everyone got into. And that's the problem with the crowded trade. Uh, and the, the, the other lesson that you learn in market pullbacks, corrections, is that the less you are in crowded trades, the less risk you have. Because when it's a crowded trade, everyone's trying to get out at the same time and you get pummeled. And so points bet is one of those ones. Everything has a price. And I think points bet will have a price where I, I want to jump in, but it's not right now. And it's not right now in the cycle either. So don't jump in now. It's a hell no from uh, Nathan Claude, but is he being is he being a bit cynical? I mean, Goldman did say that it was on a, a medium to long term basis. Well, look, I think you have to take a uh, the broker darlings with a massive grain of salt because um, brokers tend to like to cover uh, stocks that constantly need to raise capital and can raise capital, and you know, due to their like hot story and their and that kind of thing, you know, points bet. Um, has been able to historically raise capital, right? So every time they raise capital, brokers get a fee. Who do they choose to raise capital? Well, generally, they don't raise capital with the broker that said you should sell for all the reasons Nathan said. So you know, they cynical. The the <laughs> so, um, so if you're coming to me for the anti-cynical, uh, oh, yeah, I'm no, okay. skeptical, actually. Yeah, I, I did not pick my audience there. Thing. Yeah, okay. I, I will add one thing. Um, look, you know, <clears throat> I think as a general rule of thumb, um, a business, if they're having to spend much more than their gross profit on um, marketing uh, expenses, generally you should, the starting point should be, is this even a viable business? So you see plenty of businesses spend half their gross profit on marketing as their growth. Sometimes you might even justify being able to spend um, 100% of your gross profit on growth, right? You're gonna be making a big loss because you got all your expenses under that. But these guys spent, 124 million um, in the most recent report on marketing expenses versus gross profit of just 54 million. So we're talking over 200% of their gross profit just on marketing alone. To me, you know, that is the, that's the big boy equivalent of, you know, just absolute yoloing yeah. it. Like if that marketing doesn't pay off, you're just never going to get a return. So it's a big, big risky, risky bet. Um, you know, I hold sell, Claude. Oh, definitely sell. Like, okay. no way would I hold this. Yeah. All right. Ostcode Healthcare, this is for Daniel. It's a micro cap. I'm sure Nathan has had to do his research. It's got some sort of a nurse call system. Um, reporting, analytics, all of those keywords in there. Data, mobile platform. So it's a nurse call solution that they offer. Claude, I'll start with you on this one. AHC. Yeah, so I do own shares in this one. Okay. And I've followed it for many years, including when it was Azure Healthcare. I actually managed to lose some money back on it then. You know, um, look, this, you know, I could talk for ages about this. I'll try and keep it to the key points. Like, this is a turnaround story. What happened when I first started following this is that they just had a couple of good halves. And because they're in the business of selling, you know, hardware largely and partly software, but mostly hardware systems, like that are for, you know, wiring up new hospital builds essentially in aged care homes. Um, you know, because they just had a few good halves, their profit went up really fast with operating leverage, but it essentially wasn't sustainable. The founder and then CEO dumped a whole lot of shares on the market pretty much right at the top when the market thought that, you know, the good times were going to continue. I'm talking almost 10 years ago now. And then what's happened is you've had a management change and they've been slugging away for a really long time at getting, the, at getting things in order. Now, one of the big successes they've had is that they've managed to turn it more into 
um, the Talsera call is more a sort of software um, IP network based product now. So they've modernized the product and that has allowed them to win smaller and medium sized hospitals, new hospitals that are, that are going up all over the world, but particularly mm -hmm. in the USA, which is where the new CEO is based. They've also taken out costs. They had redundant manufacturing facilities and all sorts of terrible stuff going on before. They've really done a good job, but the market's not going to trust it until the real data actually comes through. And that is exactly what we're seeing, right? So in the last half, we saw um, uh, it had a genuine profit, no you know, JobKeeper or anything like that that's distorting it. They um, have growth. They're saying that their pipeline is as big as ever. So these are hot new new builds mostly. So, you know, they pretty much know it's going to happen eventually and they have to get installed. They've been chosen already, they reckon. So mm -hmm. as long as that pipeline information is true, we should still see a growing situation here. Now, they did have a bit of inventory build up um, in this most recent half. So the one negative is you've got to keep an eye on that free cash flow because of that inventory build up. Um, they did have slightly negative free cash flow, but the profits there, the profits real and growing and they've got seven million cash in the bank so you know potentially there's some potential for a value adding um acquisition there but if they can at least just maintain their current level of profitability you'd expect them to have about a three million dollars profit and that's against the market cap of about 37 million so we're talking like very low teens pe multiple here if they just repeat the half yeah. they've done so that's why I own shares. It's like a profitable little healthcare company that seems to be a turnaround. Okay. Would you be buying shares today? I honestly like would consider buying shares today. Yeah, look, I'm a little bit like Nathan in that I'm a bit cautious about buying right now with everything's going on in the world. But actually, this would be one of the ones that would be top, near the top of my list. I would consider buying some. And the price I paid was, I think, uh, actually like a cent above the current price. Thank you. Nathan, what do you think of OSCO? Turnaround story. Yeah, I'll keep it quick. Uh, I think uh, I saw pretty much what uh, Claude was saying. It's a turnaround story. I like the thematic, what they're doing. Management looks like they're doing the dirty work uh, and nobody pays for it when you're doing the dirty work. Um, but I think it looks interesting. I, I think it's 50 mil. Um, it's coming off with the market. So short term, look, I think it might go down, but I think it's worth a punt. If you're looking at a micro cap healthcare play, um, I think a turnaround story. I think this one stacks up. I think it's worth it. Um, it's a good speculative punt. Good. Got it. Thank you. Now, best in less. This is for Lauren. Last on the list. It's been hammered so far in 2022, but let's be honest, share price is uh, not alone. Um, it's up 36% in terms of price over the past year. It's cheap clothes, right? So I was thinking supply chain, inventory, I guess being concerns. I wasn't sure if it even had much of an online presence because I've only seen it in my, you know, the mall that I go to usually, uh, but it does. So uh, I've noticed this year since we started doing the small cap program, it's often on uh, you know, the, the losing side of the ledger. What do you think, Nathan? Is there a turnaround story potentially here? Look, I think it's a great business model. I go there. <laughs> I do. Like, especially when you, when my kids were young, it's the best place to buy kids' clothes. Um, I still, we still buy clothes there. Uh, look, I, I think it's a good business. Brad Bundy is in there. Um, you know, when he's involved and he's got shares, you know the stock's going to do well at some point. Um, I think it's a recent float. I'm always one of those people who want to wait and see it report a, a decent amount so that I can get some um, traction on the road. Uh, but look, I think it's an interesting one. I think it's one of those ones that are... You know, it kind of reminds me of a bit like um, super retail. You mm -hmm. know, they 
they just dominate in that category. They're very good at it. When you go there, you always find and you end up buying some other random crap that you never thought you needed. Um, so I think best and less is a good business model. I think it's been managed well. It's a tough couple of years, but I think coming out of it, they should do better. It's one on my shopping list, but right now I'm not buying any retail stock. Um, so I'm not buying it. I wouldn't suggest you buy it right now, but it's one of those stocks where I think it's in my top list of okay. retailers that I want to buy. Interesting. What do you think? Uh, you might not be in the phase yet, Claude, where you've got to pick up all this other stuff when you go into stores with kids, but trust me, it's coming. I, I don't go into stores with kids. Um, the, the reality is that to me, I sort of see this like maybe like a reject shop kind of, but in clothes rather than random stuff, um, which means that the risk really, it has a solid business and demand should be solid, but uh, the risk really comes from that debt, that balance sheet, which they do have net debt of $90 million plus, you know, a ton of lease liabilities. And that's where the risk comes in. You know, around 10 times earnings, analysts forecasting 10% growth. There's not massive upside there if it matches expectations. But given all of the potential for a recession and just less consumer spending on items, given we've had two years where all we could do was buy items and now we can do mm -hmm. other things. I'm not in any retail like this. Like I even sold the ones I do like, so I definitely wouldn't own this one. Got it. Thank you. Okay, let me just quickly recap. Apollo, it's a hold for Nathan. It's uh, not a buy for Claude. Trajan Group, uh, look, it's a sell even for Claude if you've got it. Look, Nathan says that it looks interesting, but he says be very, very careful here. It will be sold off with growth stocks, so he is not buying. It's a hell no for points bet from both of my guests. I'll sum it up that way. Ostco Healthcare, Claude owns it. If it weren't for the current environment, he would even consider buying more. Uh, he believes it's a turnaround story. Look, Nathan uh, believes it as well. He says it's a specky buy, but he's not buying now. He's waiting till some of this volatility washes through. Best and Lest, it's on Nathan's watch list. He shops there. So why wouldn't you have it on your watch list? But he says that uh, he's not buying it today. Claude's got rid of all of his discretionary retailers, so he's not going to own this one that has debt. Okay, so those are the 10 stocks that we talked about. Recession has been mentioned twice. Nathan, I found that chart that we were talking to. Let's bring it up on the screen so our viewers can see it. And the point is not every recession is led by a 50% rise in crude, but to Nathan's point, every 50% rise in crude has led a recession. And you can see that line on the screen there where you've got Brent yeah. between 101 and 111. Thought, Nathan? It, yeah, it, it's a simple fact that rising energy cost is a regressive tax on middle to low income and the substantial amount, 50 to 60% of the population in most countries are middle to low income earners. So you put a tax on them, they spend less and that's when the economy slows down. Guys, that was a lot of fun. That hour flew by. Thank you so much. Claude Walker from A Rich Life, Nathan Samasandram, Deep Data Analytics. Uh, look, have a great weekend. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thanks for watching and thanks for having me. So if you'd like us to cover a company, email us at the call, ausbiz.com.au. You can check out the portfolio at ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. We are still tracking it, of course. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.